Hello, friends. This is Josh Dillon with a quick note for you. First and foremost, this is not an episode of the Pink and Black Playback. This is the debut episode of a new podcast Mr. Young and I have been working on called Look Who's Siskel and Ebert Now, where we watch and review movies previously reviewed by Siskel and Ebert and then compare our review to theirs. Uh, just a fun little movie project we've wanted to do for a while. If you're here solely for the Bret Hart nut riding or goofy wrestling nonsense, don't worry. We don't plan to do any more episodes of Look Who's Siskel and Ebert Now on this podcast feed. With that said, we are going to continue taking a winter break here until sometime in February, probably the first week or two. Check your feeds for that. We should have more pink and black playback for you then. Until then, if you would like to contact us, please do. Um, our email and social media information is in the description of this episode. But for those of you who don't bother to look, uh, you can email us at pinkandblackplayback at gmail.com. Very simple. Uh, Mr. Young's Instagram is at Joshy Drama. Yes, like in entourage for some reason. And my Twitter account is at Big Faceless, as in Big Faceless Corporation. If you have any wrestling matches you really want us to check out in the new year, if you just want to yell at us for getting everything wrong all the time, that also works. Feel free. But uh, until then, we leave you with this new project of ours and, you know, happy holidays. Happy, happy Merry Chrysler. Happy Kremens. I am Josh Young. And I'm Josh Dillon. And this is episode one of Look Who's Siskel and Ebert Now. What the fuck are we doing not talking about wrestling? Right? I know. <laughs> um, I can hear, uh, I was going to say everybody, both of you, I should say. It's probably more accurate. <laughs> turning off your podcast momentarily. But this is the introductory episode to a new project Josh has been fucking obnoxious about for months. <laughs> But and I have finally been broken down and agreed to do it because his birthday happened and I'm a sucker and I don't buy anybody anything. It was time. I yeah. got sober. We needed to do this. True. <laughs> now we had to have more rambles about other things. It's fair. So what we decided is as children of the 90s. Yes, we are. We, a, a big intro to film for us was yeah. Siskel and Ebert. Ebert. That's how I got my film reviews. Exactly. And Other it was than the newspaper, on. but fuck those guys. And again, because it was on TV yeah. and because it was on like every Friday nights. Friday night, like Friday it was nights. an easy thing to get a hold of. Yeah. It was a way for me to, to think about movies in a way that was like smart with thought. Yeah. People, it was the first place where I could actually go and be like, oh, that's, you know, it's not just because it had Luke Skywalker in it that it's good, <laughs> you know? No, you should check these movies though. And exactly. of course, like, yeah, they did. Uh, throughout from the 70s yeah. all the way until uh, Gene yeah. Siskel's uh, death in 1999, they covered just about everything. Absolutely. Well, in a 20-year period. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like uh, growing up, growing up there, especially to my uh, parents who were real cinephiles and got me into film, uh, their their word was law. Whether they agreed with them or not, they were meant to yeah. be appreciated and respected. <laughs> my, uh, my relationship to films as a kid was largely based off of like a bonding thing with my dad, just going yeah. out to the movie theater. Uh, for us, it was like every other week. And, you know, usually it was kids movies, this, that, or the other thing. But uh, he had no problem taking me to something that in retrospect, maybe might not have been totally appropriate. With that said, <laughs> he never would have taken me to crash. No, I was asking my mom about it too, because my mom rented everything. Yeah. And I know shit for sure she rented it because it was one of the movies and one of the few films I wasn't allowed to watch. Yeah. 
I told her about this last time I, got I Bush saw her. in this movie. You can't watch it. Well, gee, well, yeah, really? I don't even think I should watch it now. Right? Exactly. <laughs> I watched this in an office. <laughs> I literally like tilted my computer. I, I, I think that's the cinematic experience they want. Yeah, for the record, we're talking about David Cronenberg's 1996 <laughs> film Crash. Crash. <laughs> Um, the quick idea of our, our format here, just so you understand, and also so we don't forget. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll start very simply. I'll go through an introduction, this time supplied uh, lovingly from wikipedia.org, some small website I've never heard of before. Oh, and the uh, IMDb, imdb.com trivia page. Oh, nice. Also in your package, in your press package there. Josh has printed <laughs> off a bunch of websites like he's my fucking grandfather. It's beautiful. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so we'll go over the we intro real quick. Hand. Yeah, right. <laughs> and then uh, we'll go through the synopsis. Yeah. Um, and if you've listened to us reveal, review movies before on the wrestling podcast, on the Bret Hart podcast, it, you'll be familiar with that format. Yeah. Um, but yeah, hopefully they. I was gonna say hopefully there'll be less dick jokes, but this is Crash. This is the it's ultimate ninety percent weird sex jokes and bodies are weird jokes. But we don't. I'll get into it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> So, uh, to start us off, I'll just go through the introduction, and we'll, we'll kick it from there. Have at her, Mr. Dillon. <clears throat> Crash is a 1996 psychological drama film written, produced, and directed by David Cronenberg based on J.G. Ballard's 1973 novel of the same name, starring James Spader, Deborah Kara Unger, or Kara Unger, I guess it is, uh, Elias uh, Codius. Also, Elias Co Codius. Elias Codius? Yeah. Can we just go? We're, ju we're calling him Casey Jones yeah, for the Casey remainder. Jones. From now on, Casey Jones. I'm not going to remember that. <laughs> Holly Hunter and Rosanna Arquette. One of the other Arquettes. Yeah, there's several of them. <laughs> One of many. One of five? Yeah. One of three. What One of, like, of them's five. dead. Five. Yeah, Alex. Alex uh, Alexis, Alexis, Alexis. Alexis. Died of AIDS. Yeah. AIDS-related uh, stuff. Well, really starting this one off strong. <laughs> it follows a film producer who, after surviving a car crash, becomes involved with a group of symphorophiliacs, uh, people who are into, like, well, symphorophiliacs specifically is, like, disaster porn. Right. Like, so it could be, like, hurricanes or oh, fires. Oh, it's not just limited to vehicles. Exactly. Wow. Um, the in the movie, it is. It but is. this concept right. is not. Wow, I'm learning. Um, who are aroused by car crashes and tries to rekindle his sexual relationship with his wife. The film premiered at the Cannes Film Festival, where it received the Special Jury Prize, a unique <laughs> award that is distinct from the jury prize as it is not given annually, but only at the request of the official jury. For example, the previous year, both a jury prize and a special jur jury prize were awarded. When then-jury president Francis Ford Coppola announced the award for originality, for daring, and for audacity, he stated that it had been a controversial choice and that certain jury members did not abstain very passionately. Um, it continued to receive various accolades, including six Genie Awards uh, from the Academy of Canadian Cinema and Tel Television, of course. Hey. You make it sound like that's a big deal. <laughs> <It's not laughs> accolades. You filmed it in Toronto, you're going to get a Genie. <laughs> anyway, including awards for Cronenberg as director and screenwriter. The film was also nominated in two further categories, including Best Picture. The film's initial release was met with intense controversy and open to highly divergent reactions from critics. Some praised the film for its daring premise and originality. Others aimed criticism uh, for having such a strange premise filled with graphic violence. It has since developed a cult following among Cronenberg fans. 
So yeah, that's actually a pretty damn good intro. Thanks, Wikipedia. I <laughs> hope these guys that. stick around. That's a pretty pretty good rundown. I could use that more in the future. Did you know you could mention or you could include Wikipedia in your will for some of their advert uh, fund me things on the I main love website? That. I feel like you can you could include anything in your will. Yeah, but they legit like you could. There's a hyperlink. You could click it, include have, it in your will. I swear, that's to God, great. I, I don't want to give you it. any money now, but when I'm dead. <laughs> Can you imagine grandma giving all her money to Wikipedia and just being like, fuck you? <laughs> That'd be, well, okay, fuck you to her kids, but yeah, that'd be really nice. <laughs> right? So, Crash, 1996. Um, what Premier, do you know, on... Josh, about the Cannes controversy? Did you know anything about what was going on when this movie well, came out? Well, they, the, Cronenberg tells the tale that when he got this special jury prize, which is like, which is like, uh, second place? <laughs> it's not even second place because they don't give it. Right. They only give it if there's a controversy. I just, I just and can't... my understanding is this is uh, one of the few because like sometimes there'll be a hung jury. Yeah. The idea is the Palme d'Or goes to it goes best picture. Yeah, it's their best to... picture. Then they got the yeah they got the grand prize jury and then I guess the special jury, which is weird. But Mr. Cronenberg tells the tale mm -hmm. that they weren't actually going to get special jury prize at all because of the fucking outcry that happened at con yeah and it was the way he explains it was that coppola got strong-armed into yeah. doing it but he never get he was supposed to hand him the award at the ceremony but he, never did it he didn't want to he didn't want to the rumor but he um, stood up for it but not this was the premiere of the film too this was this was supposed to be the yeah. coming out they had they were going to have the big hall to do their um uh their press junket their press junket yeah. bullshit and they did. And the press junket, if you get a chance to watch that, is funny because all this controversy was going on. And then you got like five actors, producers, Cronenberg and author of the original uh, book this is based on. Yeah. Um, stellar author, J.G. Ballard. Who James Spader, also named James, plays We'll in get the into movie. that a bit. It's so weird. Definitely. I hate so, using the term meta, but that's what it is. Oh, it absolutely is. And this <laughs> is a classic Cronenberg trick, but also J.G. Ballard especially. Yeah. Um, so... They all went to this this press junket and they all went ready for a fight. And you can watch it. It's hilarious because there's even a point where like someone's asking the them why there weren't any like full frontal male nude shots. And James Spader, well, it's it was like, I think the phrase he used was it was a matter of geography because in most of the scenes where this genitalia were fucking, so you can't see my dick. <laughs> And it's just like they Typical went there. Spader. They went out there to cut a promo on the yeah. crowd. Sorry to use a wrestling, some wrestling. Term it's going to be a lot of that. And I appreciate the attitude because you definitely get the vibe that the people who worked on this movie were super proud of what they made. Yeah. And rumor is everybody loved making it. That was also a thing in press at the time that um, the cast was just like, like, like. Ironically, this movie was one of the funnest movies we've ever Made, yeah. ha had to had a chance to make. All this hubbub is going on. J.G. Ballard at the time blamed the conservative Tories in the UK because conservative writers started writing about about the story and about the the movie. Apparently, one of the first people to see the movie was this columnist who wrote something to the effect that it's even beyond the realms of like bad taste or something or obscenity. But, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. Which to uh, both J.G. Ballard and uh, and Cronenberg's uh, confusion that kind of implies that if it's out of the bounds of, of obscene, then it's taste. not obscene. Yeah, it's just just like it's not it's what obscene. It, is. it can't be more than obscene. Anyways, <laughs> um, to give you a little. 
background before we run into the plot then of uh, J.G. Ballard. He's famous for being part of what's called the new wave of science fiction. This was a period in mostly the 1960s. People like Harlan Ellison's a name uh, you might yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ursula K. Le Guint. No, this is, this is after that. Asimov oh. would be considered the golden era. Now, the idea for these guys wasn't that Asimov stuff was garbage, but Ballard actually famously wrote a really good essay. I have a quote from it here. The biggest development of the immediate future will take place not on the moon or Mars, but on Earth. And it is inner space, not outer, that needs to be explored. The only true alien planet is Earth. He's written a lot of books about dystopia and usually not like like the fun kind where the world ends instantly and we're all in the in like a fantasy renaissance world holding giant okay. swords and Josh becomes Lord Humongous. It's not One like day. that. He's very interested in rich people losing control over society, but being the last ones, right? Because they separated themselves from everybody else. So they're the ones that get to watch the world. And oh. he's written about this concept multiple times. Um, his early work was all like dystopian futures that you'd recognize as science fiction. Right. But then he also wrote another book called High Rise, which is about rich people in an apartment basically watching the world end over time, kind of distracting themselves with technology. He wrote another one. The name of this book escapes me um, all of a sudden. But the concept is it is a, a resort town full of weird, eccentric, rich people <laughs> and their diversions to distract from the fact that the world is ending. Okay. He's written the same concept over and over. And not only that, he wrote a companion book. I think it came out in like 2000 to the book he released uh, in 96. Uh, this one was called like, I think it was literally called Cans, and it was about a dystopian world where in the town of Cans, all the rich people from Hollywood came to judge everybody while the world ended. So the guy's got a theme. Got, he doesn't like rich people. I don't think you're wrong, but it's less an indictment of the rich and more an indictment about how like, because society is set up in a way to protect these people, right? these self-absorbed potential goofballs will be the last of us right they will be the only ones that make it and by that measure okay you mentioned earlier that he uh the only the only alien planet is earth mm -hmm. it it hits harder with crash because everybody's yes. like a fucking alien and this is the fun part about crash right because it is clearly science fiction but there's no science yeah. technology in it. it yeah which is so bad driving right? a continental right <laughs> Right. <laughs> and that's fucking great. So I think that's a pretty good start. I mean, we could talk a quick bit about Cronenberg, too. If you don't know Cronenberg, go fuck yourself. Go watch some Cronenbergs. Go watch uh, go Videodrome. Have some good taste. Fucking basically watch anything but Existence. Actually, yeah. Existence, no. you know, I'm going to get into the eras. I'll get yeah, into that. We'll get into that. But so, no, yeah. it, and it's, it's funny that you mentioned a lot of that stuff because it feels uh, uh, James, James Spader, mm -hmm. James Ballard, James Spader. Mm -hmm. And his wife, Catherine Ballard, uh, Deborah Kara Unger, they seem well to do. And they are, because he's mm. a fucking Hollywood producer, right? And she is currently getting her pilot's license. Pilot's license, like, yeah. completely she's just fucking like, the pilot. <laughs> just like, just because she wants it. Yeah. And I love that, too. That's great. So do you want to get started but, on the plot? But, they gotta, but you talk about the rich, or yeah. Ballard talks about the rich, and they come, they have to go down in society a little bit uh, to get into what yes. they really want, their sexual this gratification. Is it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I love that you picked up on that. Okay, cool. So, and again, all of these are themes that are pretty familiar in Cronenberg's work. Yeah. I, I brought up Videodrome because it is one of the most important movies to me personally. Um, 
I love the idea of like becoming the new thing. And Cronenberg is obsessed with this idea of where technology and people merge together. Yeah. Right. And like, are we still people after a fact? Just yeah. to, just That's a bigger theme. A That's little... even a bigger theme in uh, Scanners, The Fly, exactly. like a lot of that shit. My, um, That's not quite my favorite he... era of Cronenberg. Oh, oh yeah. You're, you're more <laughs> of, of like history of Vigo. But he, he brings Vigo back into that world too. Yes, he does. Actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, what is real? What matters? Who are we? Is a big thing for both this author and this uh, director that we're talking about today. I even like just from personal experience, I had that music project last year oh, yeah. that I worked on. It's called Melt Movies because I got just obsessed with the almost childlike notion of like, if your skin fell off your body, are you your bones or are you your flesh? You know? And like that kind of sent me down this Cronenbergian path once again <laughs> and helped, had me like reconfigure my views on like, oh, this is good gore and more of like, what is it saying about who I am? This reminds me of Dr. Manhattan reassembling himself after he got the tacky. Not explosion. a bad comparison. <laughs> Actually, right. Because that's it. If you become disjointed and through time and space, yeah. do you, are you even real? Like, yeah. is, are you the same matter? man? Yeah. But oh, that got weirdly and oddly and cruelly philosophical. And I think it's important to put our brains there when we get into this story. So Why should not? I start with the plot and we'll yeah, go through? It. Cool. Let's do it. Film producer James Ballard. And his detached wife, Catherine, are in an open marriage. The couple engage in various trysts, but between them have unenthusiastic sex. Their arousal is heightened by discussing the intimate details of their extramarital sex. She recounts sex that day with a stranger in a prop plane hanger. She was, however, left unsatisfied. When James replies he did not achieve satisfaction during his sexual encounter with one of his co-workers, Catherine girl. Yeah, camera girl. Catherine <laughs> replies, maybe the next one. So they're in an open relationship. This is, I got to say, I just think one of the, my favorite things about this fucking movie is the first 10 minutes. Yeah. There's like three sex scenes. It's bang, just like boom, bang, boom, bang. boom, boom. Did you know uh, he? there were actually more sex scenes between Spader and the camera girl? Oh, but, really? Yeah. But because of they had their chemistry was too good. And way to go, Spader. <laughs> but like... Yeah, but it was Cronenberg deemed it was it was too hot, too sexy for his too hot, too sexy too hot, movie. Too sexy, too spader, <laughs> too spader, and he had to cut all of it out except for the part where he's eating her ass. God, there's <laughs> actually a lot of eating from behind oh in this my movie. God. I'm talking about eating from behind. I love it. Or even like, yeah, there we'll get to it later. But there's a time when these two characters who we just talked about are having sex, and then she's bringing up a fantasy of like do you want to sleep with this guy with casey jones <laughs> and, and she keeps like talking about his erect like using your erection in his anus yeah and she talks about gonna, it in such a yeah, medical way it's so funny to me yeah okay we'll get to that part. so but like it is a real jarring experience mm. it's as if you're watching a horror movie and they start off with the most gruesome scene right up front okay i'm gonna i'm gonna shoot in the dark here yeah now, between you and I, I've, uh, I'm a child, not only child of the 90s, child of the internet. Yes. Yes. We, <laughs> we operate in that millennial sphere. We came of age with uh, the 2000s Yahoo. Dog. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm watching this for the first time. I don't, I think I maybe caught a sneak peek of it when my mom rented it or my parents rented yeah. a blockbuster and was told to vacate the premises. Crash. Is it a porno? <laughs> This is the are question. we are we watching? Okay, just based just based on these that that first paragraph, the first. Well, what's your answer? It's porno. Yeah, because of and be, and oh, a very well done porno, very well done. 
And because of how fractured everything is, and it goes from scene to scene, and there's not really like there's cohesiveness, like it moves, but like Do you want to know what Cronenberg and Ballard said? They are both intended to be pornographic, both the original book and this. Wow. Um, the idea is that both of these men are really interested, the, the creators, yeah. are really interested in the idea of, again, where humans and technology meet. But I have another question for you. Were you aroused by any of these pornographic images? You bet. I fucking watched, uh, I had a De Deborah Kara Unger double feature. I watched That's her That's not in. what I'm asking. That's <laughs> not what I'm asking. I mean, the scenes in this movie, were you like aroused by the scenes in this movie? To, because like to a degree to a degree because the pornographic nature isn't just the way it covers sex but the way it covers bodies bodies right yeah no because it gets gross of yeah. them, <laughs> the 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 neosexual organ that is a giant rip down a woman's leg yeah and he fucks it so, and like sharon and i like sharon walked in at the end like near the ending of that or at least at that part and she's like what yeah. fucking movie are you watching so I, like I, I guess I kind of <laughs> lied because really that's like the first six minutes that we read. So I'll read right. the next paragraph. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And this is basically the inciting in inciting incident of the film. But was I aroused a little? And then it got like, like ah, this is. Fucking I think weird. the point is very quickly like they wanted to be pornographic, but not your porn. Yeah. Like I think it the definitely. Idea is yeah. Like, that's it's yeah. Like you're watching yeah, yeah, somebody yeah. else's fetish. Yeah. But, but I'm not into it. But exactly. it's ah. But it's graphic. That's kind of my thought. Because again, uh, if you go back to like the Greek use of the word for pornography, it was, it was used to like it was writings about uh, prostitutes. Yeah. But like literally, it's like things that are specifically there to titillate. Yeah. No the other act, reason. The, the physical act of sexual yes. congress. Yeah. So, while driving home from work late one night. James's car collides head-on with another, killing its male passenger. While trapped in the fused wreckage, Dr. Helen Remington, the driver and the dead passenger's wife, exposes a breast to James when she pulls off the shoulder harness of her seatbelt. First of all, I do appreciate the constant like itemization of breasts in this movie, too. There's several times when it's just like a single yeah, titty. It's, oh, yeah, it's always like, lift shirt out of bra. You never really see a... No, you never really see one exposed. It's always one tit. It's always one tit and fucking out there for you to mm -hmm. for you to fondle or to do whatever. It starts with that too, right? Yeah. Cause uh Yeah, she puts her tit on Unger's the fucking airplane. Scene, yeah. She literally like pulls a tit out and she like rubs it against the yeah. car or the airplane or whatever it is. Yeah. This is wild. So now we've made it about 10 minutes into the film. Yeah. Or just we got about. character number three. So the scene, I love this scene too, because it's also kind of funny in the fact that the way he is not paying attention to the road. So he's driving on a highway. No, he's looking at fucking storyboards. Yeah. And while he's driving the highway, he's <laughs> looking at asshole. storyboards as he's driving. And he's out in North York, right? Yeah. And he's got one hand on the wheel, one hand holding this giant pile of like <laughs> stapled together uh, pages. Storyboards, yeah. And he's like flipping through it. And he's like, oh, I can't believe it on this highway. Yeah. <laughs> And then he ends up basically like dropping it. And he's kind of like, oh, shit. So he keeps driving on this highway, reaching over, like looking underneath his seat, trying to grab the thing. Next and thing then, you know, yeah, he's in other side of fucking yeah, traffic and he, on the highway. And then he's actually, it's even more dangerous that yeah. and then he basically comes to, uh, when he looks up, he is driving into oncoming traffic that is trying to enter the highway. They're yeah. on an entrance and he's exiting. Opposite end, and yeah. So he just swerves, 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 takes her off the road. And then eventually... This is a good bit of special effects on this crashes part. This is the best part. Front end. Yeah. Yeah. Crashes end to end, like front end to end. And uh, the male passenger in that vehicle flies out of the fucking and field. lands in his passenger seat. Right. He then looks up and sees um, Holly Hunter. Holly Hunter's character. And she just 
pulls her fucking titty out. Yeah, but, and, and she's like kind of gyrating and like humping. Instantly, in they place. cut it too. Yeah. Do I, as a viewer, did that really happen? You know, because I definitely had kind of a feeling briefly. I mean, the whole movie goes on. Of course, it yeah, happened. it happened. You but go like to surgery. Are, I feel like in that moment, I'm supposed to be like, "What the fuck was that?" I have, I have an interesting Hit another me. theory. Did she do that on purpose? It almost felt like she was fucking because she. You find out that she is into it. Yeah, but like, was she? And, and later on in the hospital, there. She's kind of initially pissed off that her husband is dead, but quickly gets over it. Oh, yeah. Because of her fetish. But like, it almost feels like she was waiting for this fucking thing well, to happen. If this, if the, and what's the husband's if story? If this premise was put together by almost any other uh, filmmaker, she would be mad at that guy <laughs> for the entire movie, then fall you in know? love with him. Yeah, or something like that. That's <laughs> it. Yeah. And it just doesn't work out that way. It's just no. instantaneous. Like, whoo, car crashes. Yeah. And you're, yeah. And she, he, so, Ballard, James Spader, quickly becomes part of her fetish. But it oh, it just mm. felt like for an instant, I was like, when watching, especially when you got her titty out, I was like, she did that on purpose. <laughs> I'm going to... Now, the next paragraph actually goes pretty um, pretty quickly. Okay. But like, I feel like we can... We'll read the paragraph and we'll break it down to pieces okay. if need be. While recovering, Jake meets Helen again, as well as a man named Dr. Robert Vaughn. Uh, who takes a keen interest in the brace holding James' shattered leg together and photographs it. While leaving the hospital, Helen and James begins an, begin an affair, uh, one primarily fueled by their shared experience of the car crash. Attempting to understand why they are so aroused by their car wreck, they go to the to witness one of Vaughn's cult meetings slash performance pieces, <laughs> during which he thoroughly recreates the car crash that killed James Dean with authentic cars and stunt drivers. When Department of Transportation officials break up the event, James flees with Helen and Vaughn. So a couple things here. When he's in the hospital right away, we get all these great shots of like the wounds on his body. Very realistic yeah, looking yeah. post-surgery kind of situation. Yeah. And he's all the got pins. That brace. Yeah, that yeah. brace up and, and down his leg yeah. with all these pins um, put into the shattered bone to try and keep it in place. Yeah. Right. It's uh it's graphic and it's hard to look at. And it's also a weirdly soft scene. There's no one else in the room. It's just his wife there to console him, basically. Yeah, but it feels so vacant. Yeah. Like, you think you're in a porno. <laughs> As it's described to us, vacant. this hospital is near the airport. Yeah. And because of that, uh, they keep this place open specifically for accidents. Yeah, and because crashes. Because if a plane crashes or a bus crashes, they yeah, need they the need, space yeah. right away. Um, but it gives you this real, like, isolated kind of feeling of, like, there's no one else in this world, right? Mm -hmm. Um, when they go out into the hall, fuck, the, there's nobody in the hospital other than the four of them at any like, given point. When they go out in the hall, you see um, Helen Hunter or Helen Holly Hunt, Holly Hunter. Holly Hunter. <laughs> Did I just use a porn actress name? No, is Helen Hunt. Helen Hunt is mad about you. Mad about you. He. Uh, they have a weird interaction too. Where yeah. he's before that, when he's with his wife. And she's just like, oh, yeah, the guy, the dead guy, his wife's in here, too. She's uh, probably a patient yeah, or something. What you know, it, maybe you see her on one of your walks. His leg is shattered in a million pieces. <laughs> yeah. He's not going on any walks. He's doing pretty good. He actually, yeah. He's, <laughs> on, he's literally. On crutches. He's, he's crutches. He's using like a, Not even a crutch. It's a, what you would call it? Like walker. a walker. He's yeah. using a walker like right away. So <laughs> it makes you wonder how long he's actually been there. Yeah. It, the film itself doesn't really give a good span yeah. of time. And I think that's important, too. Yeah. Time is basically portrayed by how car 
car, how many cars there are. Yeah. That's an interesting thing when that and comes up. Yeah, how many crashes. But it's meant to be a mostly dreamlike or yeah. a, even a wet dream. He's like, like we said, he's gone for one of his little walks yeah. and he's, uh, he sees um, the woman who is in the car, who's the tit cramp. <laughs> And she's there with another guy dressed like a doctor who instantaneously is super interested in him. It comes on, comes right on to him. And again, there is a sexual overtone here yeah. with how close he is. And he gets so excited yeah. about looking at the scars. body. Yeah. Yeah. He sees the scars and then and you see you his scars. Him. Yeah. Um, and again, I don't, because he's Dr. Robert Vaughn, but like, He's not working in that hospital, is he? Like, he's not I a doctor. No. Oh, I'm not right? a doctor. <laughs> he's not, oh, a I'm doc- not a doctor. He's not a doctor. He, he then, um, so they have this great interaction, and it really, frankly, you want to talk chemistry. There's a lot of chemistry between those two men. Yeah. Like, definitely, you get this idea of like, they could be hero villain in a movie, or they could be lovers. They just could yeah. be interview with the vampire easily. With they could be cowboy detectives too. That's uh, that sounds great. Like, uh, <laughs> is this a cowboy bebop thing? So he's super interested. And then, yeah, when they finally um, get to this performance arts piece that they're somewhat invited to, she brings him to. This is where it really, the reveal kind of happens. Because what's going on here is this is a sexual subculture. They call it a cult. They call him a performance artist. And all of that's true. But really, because like all the sex that happens between these people, consensual. Yeah. All of there's no coercion or anything. These are people that have needs and wants, and they try to help each other too. Uh, I wouldn't say later on the sex between Catherine and Vaughn are. It is Isn't consensual, it? but I it's it's a fucking beating. She doesn't. She didn't like it. I don't know. It was a beating. You, you the car crash? The, no, 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 no. Uh, later on. Yeah. Yeah, but those the the bruises and stuff that's from yeah. the car crash they were in. No. Yeah, when he's filming the car crash afterwards. No, no, no. She, you you can see the handprints where he grabbed like yeah. he was choking her and shit. That wasn't in a car crash. Yeah, but they they fuck there was nothing about was, any of those sex scenes that implied lack of consent. I understand that, but it did get aggressive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're people who are sexually interested in car crashes, Joshua. It's all aggressive. Uh, yeah, I know. They made a movie about it. We're yeah, reviewing yeah, yeah. it right now. Oh, but that's what I'm saying. Like, I mean, like, it, it is by itself aggressive. It's a yeah. sexual subculture regardless. Yeah. And and I'm just trying to say that the, the group of people that we're seeing engage consensually. Yeah. And they know that they are seen a little weird. Um, and I do think the movie does a very good job of... And again, this is a Cronenbergian thing to some degree of never moralizing, never being like overt, like this is good or this is bad. This is just how it is. And without condemning or yeah, condoning either. Exactly. That's what I mean. Like, uh, it's, and, I, and I think it's important, especially if you don't think your audience is fucking stupid. Yeah. To give them the chance to come to terms. Because I think to some degree, Cron- Cronenberg's response to this would be like, good or bad yeah. they're people they exist in yeah. this in this framework right that's the interesting thing to discuss not uh, yes or no <laughs> i felt i felt uh, telling myself throughout the films like nobody acts like this this uh <laughs> oh interesting uh part of this too so there's a, this uh recreated car crash with james dean and there's also another one that happens um of course later, later on to yeah it. in the original novel apparently like uh liz taylor is a character 
and she's part of this like sexual subculture. So Elizabeth Taylor yeah, herself? Yeah. Not uh, yeah, she doesn't. Yeah, in fact, J.G. Ballard joked uh, during the cans back and forth. He's like, "You really should have got Liz Taylor, Liz Taylor in this." But, like just joking <laughs> about it because his whole point is after the fact. Like Cronenberg was like, "Well, a lot of people see her as a nice older lady who does cancer charity work now. I don't think she fits the same thing as like 1960s you, 1970 you did." Um, and he's he's like, "Yeah, he's like actually that's the thing. The beauty of using James Dean." Is that he is this mythological figure? Yeah, he became. Yeah, they keep. Uh, he becomes Vaughn, this story, yeah, Vaughn, this thing to look up to. Uh, the right? character of Vaughn, character Casey Jones keeps re- referencing him as he becomes legend. Yeah. So all these like actual people, because again, as we mentioned, uh, James Ballard is JG Ballard. Ballard. Yeah. He is fam- James Bader. <laughs> exactly. He wishes. Oh my God, JG <laughs> Ballard is not horrendously unattractive, but he is definitely not James Bader. He. Uh, uh, put himself in this um, movie as he describes it in so many interviews in, in this in book, book. Yeah. originally because he thought it would be easier to sympathize with this char- this character in this weird world if it was him and, himself. Yeah. And he also thought if people saw like the cover with his name on it and then saw this as like a character in the book, they might, you know, based on a true story kind of in their brain to some degree. And then again, also be able <laughs> to relate a little closer with the character. But he also joked with uh, Cronenberg that he maybe should have named the character David Cronenberg. <laughs> and they both kind of like eventually come to a point where like, fuck yeah, I should have named the character David Cronenberg. Because like, that's the point, right? And that's also why he is a movie producer and stuff right. in the movie, right? So uh, David Cronenberg does end up cameoing in the, in the movie. Yeah. In Crash. Oh, he he's the, loves kids. He's at the end, uh, he's like the uh, DMV. DMV. You only hear his voice. Yeah, he does the if voice. He, he's trying to get the car back, the Lincoln. He loves showing up back. in his own work. He's also like a, it's telling you earlier. He's also showing up in like one of the Star recent Trek. Star Trek yeah. shows. He's just like every every so often shows up, and I love how he keeps shrinking as an old man, but his head stays, his <laughs> hair stays hair. puffy in the same way. It's uh, like David Lynch. I love. Okay, coming back to this, right. I love Vaughn's like performance and the speech. Yeah. and I and I as like a show, the idea of like paying a stuntman to recreate the stunt death men. of a star. Yeah, yeah, too. That's uh that. I'd fucking buy that for a dollar. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I would fucking go until the cops show. show up and you get everybody's no, no, running around. The, <laughs> the Department of Transport. They're very right. Yeah, he's that clear. Out. Yeah, because it's all again, cops. Yeah. The violation here is with cars. Right. The violation is not people. Yeah. That's it's it's such a weird little thing. But again, people are their tools, and their tools are part of them. Yeah. <laughs> James soon becomes one of Vaughn's followers who fetishize car crash crashes um obsessively watching car safety test videos oh side note on that right uh voiced over in uh german which i think was a nice fucking touch when we're talking about <laughs> strange porn <laughs> but um photographic that's not this podcast yeah, photographing <laughs> traffic collisions and recounting the death of famous people in road accidents right uh, Catherine, who Vaughn has followed in his car on several occasions, begins to fantasize about him and James having sex. Although Vaughn initially claims that he is interested in the reshaping of the human body by modern technology, um, his actual project is living out the philosophy of the car crash is a benevolent psychopathology yeah. that beckons towards us. So this is interesting because that first uh, thing, the idea of reshaping the human body by modern technology, very Cronenberg, uh, 
Um, and again, very sixties postmodern yeah. kind of thing. Like, are yeah. we what we are? What we do? Are we the things we do it with? What are we? Um, so, and Vaughn, what I like about this too is Vaughn literally just like because James Spader's character James ends up being like, well, don't isn't this what you think? And he's like, well, that's for kids. That's surface level science fiction ship. I want to go deeper. Yeah, and to some degree. I'm not 100% sure if that's true or if he's just become so sexually obsessed that like deeper for him is just more and more and more and it's, more and more. It, it leans into the latter part of it's that. It's more about the dissolution yeah. of the human yeah. body, about humans deteriorating into the machine as opposed to joining with it for him. And that's the danger. Yeah. And the and in some ways the only like you can't really call him an antagonist um, from the classical definition, but just in his relationship to James, he kind of fills that role in like almost in like that fight club way, he, less he directly. Plays, like they're he, not in competition, but he is definitely the thing that causes James's life to change. It's, you know? it's, we say that, but I'm like, is Crash just like a reworking of the great Gatsby? No. He's very much like Vaughn's very much the Gatsby character. In a sense. He is doing the same thing, right? And, uh, he's you, trying to he build this, this yeah, artificial becomes, bubble. For yeah, himself. and he's become this uh, huge cult-like character yeah. to influence the other guy. Other people. Other people in general. Yeah. Um, and I think he's right, though, in a weird way, right? Because his cult does grow, and it keeps growing. <laughs> so... It's not just him convincing people because I think what's going on is a lot of people are coming to terms with, oh, my God, I like this. And I don't realize, like, why do I like this? Yeah. You know what I mean? And he's the the white rabbit, so to speak. Just come take a look. I'll show you. It's over here. Um, and he never asks too much from people except for no. Spader near near to a certain point. Yeah. And again, he he's an observer in such a way. Yeah. Um, you know, when he's, definitely, especially when his wife gets he involved. Becomes, well, not not just Spader here. I mean, uh, Vaughn. Vaughn's so big on photographing things, and like again, that yeah, pornographic it, element like, of it. Even when they're driving past, you kind of yeah. like you like try to touch the accident itself, yeah. right? Yeah, just get that little bit of it. Yeah. James drives Vaughn's Lincoln convertible around the city, where Vaughn picks up and has sex with a prostitute in the back seat. A short time later, James invites Catherine on one of his and Vaughn's drives. Yeah. On an interstate, they come across a car wreck involving Colin Seagrave, a member of the group, who had been planning to authentically recreate the car accident that killed James Manfield. Yeah, which uh, decapitated with Vaughn. Along the wreckage, the three see Colin's bloodied corpse, wearing a dress and a blonde wig and a bra. They leave that out. Yeah. To accurately resemble Mansfield. Yeah. Vaughn photographs the wreck as they pass by. Afterwards, when police search Vaughn's convertible, convertible uh, regarding a pedestrian hit and run, James drives it through a car wash while Vaughn and Catherine have sex in the back seat. The uh, them driving around this kind of again, this is where I get that almost Fight Club kind of vibe yeah. of these two brains kind of melding or at least noticing yeah. the same. They're becoming more and more attached. At the same time, I don't think. Spader wants to lose his wife. No, well, she's getting into, into it. it. Yeah, and what's but but it's I not think even she's like more apprehensive lose. to it after their even, act. I don't even know that's the case. I think to some degree for both of these characters, they have these slightly different experiences. Yeah, where like where she relates to it a lot differently. The, you know, you see the man from Oz, and yeah. he's you the whole time. It's just like, oh fuck, I, I am into this. Yeah, you know, there's no struggle for any of these people. The struggle is not admitting that they always were like this. Yeah. You know, it's almost like a reveal of who they were. 
um what was his name seagrave yeah colin seagrave he was the james dean stunt driver in their initial thing then he got the concussion and and they talked about doing the james manfield crash Uh, and they you could definitely see vaughn respected him too is like and again this guy's basically like dirk diggler to vaughn you know (laughs) he's like he's the rock star of this shit yeah in a sense and vaughn's gonna like he's gonna help vaughn do all his things and the James Manfield crash is interesting for a couple things here. So he's dressed as a woman and he's wearing a bra. Yeah. Clearly another level of fetishization. We're pointing at the same thing here. And Vaughn's response is he's disappointed he wasn't involved, but he loves the artistry of it. Yeah. Right? He's you son of a bitch, you pull it off. Yeah. Oh, the dog. Nice touch. <laughs> There's a dead, dead dog, dog. in it. <laughs> Like and again, it's this recreation of it. Like I want to be in that moment. I, yeah, I think yeah. He uh, uh, what was what was the stunt driver's name again? Uh, Colin Seagrave. Seagrave. He so desperately wants that crash. He'll he's willing to become yeah what he was re recreating. And w- what gets me about the description of it when people use the word cult is th- I think what they're pulling off of here is all these people get really hyped up together and then bleh. but yeah. it definitely feels more like a sexual subculture I mean, like if you take away the fact that they're getting in car crashes and putting other people at risk <laughs> really what's going on here is a bunch of people realizing that they like the same extreme thing and they're like meet like kind of thing like we're just trying to get together and support each other and we're going to sit down and watch these german crash videos you know <laughs> yeah and i can't remember when did she lose the control oh yeah the vcr starts fucking up at one point yeah and she starts and- losing it yeah. But then at the same time, she starts giving out hand jobs in between the two of them. She's oh, like, yeah, I'm not upset. To... I'm not upset. Yeah, but it doesn't bother quickly. me. But then they help her fix it, basically. Yeah. Get the controller or whatever and do the tracking. And she's like, okay, I'm fine. Thanks. Yeah. And, and it wasn't gets like, into it. it's just like they're trying to help each other. It's so, it's, there's so, they're, they're such a tight knit group. It doesn't feel like there's a guy in a cloak up top who's like, and mastermind. Everybody this. gets castrated and then I marry your wife. Yeah. You know, that cult shit We're never all happens. the Kool Aid later. This is more of like rock star cultism. You know, it's mm. cult of personality of Vaughn being like, I'm, I am revealing to the world what is going on. It's, he's, what's his name? He's Virgil from fucking, not pro wrestling, but <laughs> um, Dante's Inferno. Yeah. It, it, exactly. The idea of like this guy being, let me show you. Yeah. Let Guiding you, you through thing. all this horror. Exactly. Yeah. Also, I love the big Lincoln. It's like a 60s Lincoln. It's gorgeous. Yeah, it's Continental, man. Um, <laughs> it's a beautiful car. Used famously in the Green Hornet. <laughs> there, is a, there is a good part where Catherine's like, the cops wanted to talk to Vaughn about like a hit and run, supposedly ran over pedestrian, hit a pedestrian yeah and then something. he and he Spader, very quick he's like yeah, he doesn't care not, about pedestrians yeah he's not running over people because it's the machines yeah that matters the machines and the people are, yeah. in them okay. but uh catherine and vaughn have sex in the back of the car while in the in the car wash and it mm-hmm. gets to me to a sense gets pretty well of course it's physical but like it gets pretty uh pretty rough and it cuts to the next scene where they're naked in bed and she's like kind of weeping over it and you can see the bruises all over her. And she's completely naked and so is Spader. No, Spader's still in his pajamas. pajamas at that I was point, like, yeah. why is he wearing his pajamas? What kind of not porno is this? <laughs> like, well, And she's crying and then he's consoling her. But I don't think she's fully, she's not as committed yet to her husband's I, I don't know I, I husband's fan not fantasy I, but lifestyle yeah now. the lifestyle change I would argue it's less about her getting used to that and more about again that reveal like I think the emotional release there is not that she's sad or being abused or things just don't or work. that she's actually this she's is feeling emotions yeah. again yeah the first time in forever this movie started with these two being like did you come no nah. 
by the end of it. <laughs> oh, well, maybe next time. Yeah. And now she actually has an emotional release. I think it's a lot more to do with that than anything else. I think it's pretty... And I, People give out for the the scene between uh, Casey Jones and Spader. Yeah. But I found I found the the scene in with with uh Catherine and uh, Casey Jones. I mean, you see her fucking hand and yeah. uh it oh. ain't dry. Well, again, <laughs> Let's I put think it that way. It's it's Hollywood 1996, homosexuality it's still is tab- still a thing. quote unquote tab- We're only like half a decade out of the AIDS crisis. Yeah. Like we still live in a world where people don't want to share cups, you know? Yeah. So there is definitely this kind of homophobia resident in the world. And I feel like the cast and the creators of this movie realized yeah. that that was a big focus for a lot of people. But I, I think it speaks to society then too. Yeah. They're giving it out. They're like, I can't believe they two men had sex. So I was yeah. like, at the same time, you see some fucking woman's hand exactly. coming up with a fucking sticky load on it. And I'm like, Woof. I kinda, <laughs> like, oh yeah. But that's also, I also, again, classic Cronen, Clone. Cronenberg. Cronenberg. Attack of the Cronenberg. God, my fan film. But the idea of like a goop, human goop. Yeah, it's a Cronenberg film. We're going to need some goop. It's going to be some goop. Oh, this gets on to Arquette's character. And again, we're coming back to braces and metal and people being part of machines. What is her name again? The character, Gabrielle. Gabrielle. James subsequently has another uh, dalliance with Gabrielle, <laughs> another of the group's members whose legs are clad in restricted, restrictive steel braces and who has a vulva-like scar on the back of her high thighs, back of her high thighs, back of her thighs, <laughs> in injury suffered in a crash. Later, Vaughn invites James to visit a tattooist who tattoos car emblems on Vaughn's body. Afterwards, James and Vaughn, both highly aroused, have anal sex in Vaughn's car. Um, so a couple things here, uh, that scene with Gabrielle is hilarious. So they go to a car dealership yeah. and the whole gimmick is that they're like looking for a car. And again, she's dressed like streetwalker esque, but yeah. wearing braces. How many times have you ever seen a person without, you know, perfect physical form, you know, person with any kind of mobility concern, any kind of physical aid in a sexualized part? Not very much, you know, being an object of desire. They are looking at cars, and then some guy comes over, and no, she's like rubbing herself all over. Not it. just some guy. Enter the only maybe normal guy in this whole movie. Seemingly, yeah, right. <laughs> the only guy like, who didn't fuck like, her car because she's like fucking, rubbing her whole body. Yeah, but rubbing again, her body on braces. this convertible. What's interesting about the shot to me is she is in these leg braces, so her legs are perfectly straight. So she's making almost like a ninety degree angle with her body. Yeah, again, showing where the human ends and the machine begins. Yeah, as she like literally rubs her body over the whole car. Yeah. And uh, he's trying to get her into the into the car. She's like, "Can you help me get into the car?" And he's trying his utmost, and like, like Spader's getting aroused, and she's like reaching over at him while the the car salesman is trying to get her fucking yeah. so the car legs salesman. into the thing, and ends up ripping the upholstery in the fucking like, oh, car. Shit. Oh, oh man, this stuff. is big trouble. <laughs> so like, it's clearly a very expensive vehicle, um, and she's leaning over it. And when this car salesman approaches and is like, "Can I help you with something?" And she's just like, yeah, I want to see if I can, like, get into a car made for normal bodies. Uh, yeah, I feel like That's the car salesman, too, is maybe, like, a, like a, oh, he's, a character of the of the square audience. I, think I don't want to say square. But he is clearly attracted to her, too. Oh, right? of course, very good job because of, of how like, of what she looks like and what yeah. she represents. But at the same time, he's like, who are these fucking Weirded weirdos? Exactly. <laughs> like, exactly. Who are and the freaks? It's like, is that, like, a metaphor for regular audience goers being like, what the fuck I is this? I think a this? little bit. It's like somebody, it's like, you know, 
grandma walking past the fetish night. Yeah. You know, like, oh. But it was, I fucking had a laugh. Absolutely. When he gets, I think uh, that's actually he... a smart pickup because how many of those characters exist in this movie? Like, that's like the only it's one. It's the only guy because everybody else is condoning or yeah. at least like appreciative or completely alien yeah. to everything else. With, with you the never exception of like a couple <laughs> people on the movie set that Ballard, uh, James works on. Yeah. The, uh, we don't see anybody who isn't involved with the fucking no, and the we, weirdness. Yeah. Everybody just kind of smokes. So. And, uh, and the, okay. <laughs> yeah. So, and again, the, the vulva-like scar on the back of her thigh, I love this because, again, very Cronenberg. There's a vulva-like hole somewhere. Nobody crawled through this a, a one. crazy fucking scar. But boy, does it ever turn James on. Yeah. And when they finally start fucking around the car, there's actually this really fun, again, with the mobility aspect of this, of them trying to negotiate her leg. Yeah, so and they can he, move he her puts leg. It, and again, puts it in a certain that, position. Because yeah. it's almost at that full 90 degree thing. They like knock into the steering wheel and eventually yeah. he gets it to a place that's comfortable for both of them to have sex. You notice the station wagon too has been completely modded. Yeah. There's actually yeah. no there's no gas pedal or brake pedal. It's all fucking levers to Absolutely. moderate her driving. And this is it. And they do, and again, it's that great storytelling that Cronenberg does where people become machines. Yeah. This machine has been modified because the driver has been modified. And to fit together, they have to both be different than they were. Um, uh, Spader goes goes for gold on, on Roxanne Arquette yes. and is into her scars, much like how her his wife, yes, Catherine, is into his. into Vaughn, Casey Jones's uh, scars too. Oh yeah, but also James Spader's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. James's scars. Everybody's into scars. Oh yeah, the tattoo the tattoo section. They but, leave out a very because they're just like, oh, put card tattoos. What they're doing is the bruises and the scars on their body. They are tattooing the parts over, of the yeah. vehicle that collided with them and changed their body forever. So James Spader literally gets the, the insignia emblem, that he sees. Yeah, when on, he gets in that first car car crash, on like the bruise over where he got in that car crash. Yeah, and Vaughn gets again. I think it's like a steering wheel. Whatever it is, I think it's a steering wheel on his chest. But like again, the impression wherever the part of his body was broken, the piece of the car. Yeah, and the insignia, the insignia of it is was that was impressed into his body. And these two get so turned on, and he says something to the person doing the tattoo. Uh, He mentioned that the tattoos were too clean. Yeah, and then the person doing it was a woman, a medical. No, she's a medical doctor. Yeah, so they paid like a doctor. Yeah, who like you know tattoos are sometimes done pre-surgery, blah blah blah, for different reasons. And so they they paid like a doctor or somebody or a technician to give give them these tattoos. And she's like, well, it's a medical tattoo. It's supposed to be. He's like, it's not a medical tattoo. It's a prophetic tattoo. Yeah. And prophecy is. Yeah, it's so. Yeah. It's is strange. It's ragged. I think yeah. is the word he uses to describe yeah, or some, it. Yeah. What, what kind of prophecy is this? I honestly, like, what do you think he means in that? <laughs> right? Honestly, I think it's a lot of heady talk for a porno movie. <laughs> I think what he's saying is they're inevitable again. They're they're, they're going to deteriorate yeah. because there's no way that this lifestyle is sustainable. Yeah, you know they're in their 30s. Give it another 10 years. How many more accidents can you fucking be in before? Yeah, you're look just at how dead? crippled they're becoming. Exactly. Yeah. But again, they're giving themselves up to this machine relationship. Even even uh, it's beautiful though. Jesus, what's and his their name? sex scene is again. Well, there's actually like a sweetness to it. The way that they fuck, because of course they're like getting into it, but there's definitely a moment there. There's intimacy for sure, and it was it's all building up. (laughs) It's all building up to that until the second build up. Yeah, because you you they're debating whether or not Spader doesn't know for sure if he's really into this guy or does he want to be his friend? Does he want to follow him in a cult or or do you want to be lovers? 
but again, this openness of sex, because it's like a polyamorous kind Barry. of deal. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not even that I'm in love with this person. It's just that I am fucking turned on. Um, not that love doesn't play a part into this. And we'll get yeah. to that in the finish. We've got two more paragraphs here. Vaughn and James go for a drive in separate cars, aggressively pursuing each other. On an overpass, Vaughn intentionally crashes his car, landing on a passenger bus below. Again, beautiful scene. <laughs> killing himself. After Vaughn's death, uh, Gabrielle and Helen visit a junkyard and affectionately embrace while laying in the wreck of Vaughn's car. car. Did you notice the guy after that crash uh, that uh, Casey Jones gets into the bus? There's a dude that comes out of the bus. He's lit on fire. That's not a secret. I've always wanted to be lit on fire and put on a movie. <laughs> Why well, can lit you on fire and film it? I don't know. If Would it be movie. same? I, I want to. I wanted something to be dramatic. Oh, it'll be dramatic. <laughs> In I context. can promise you that. <laughs> But okay, uh, yeah, and he, one of them fucking dies and becomes this duel almost. I one of them, Casey Jones dies and it I, becomes a duel. What I like about it is because again, it was prophetic. Yeah, he like knew and he wasn't gonna stop it, and he was just so into the idea, like he was going to fit. This is how it was gonna end for him, and then he never accepted anything else. Food for thought. Hit me. Are they all suicidal? Hmm. I suicide implies a level of intent. I think <laughs> they, are, they are intending to crash. Yeah, they are. Hence the movie. But yeah, the movie's not called Suicide by Car, though. <laughs> because the intention here is to crash. If they could live forever and mutilate their bodies through these crashes forever, they would. I think, again, they, they several times in the movie draw a comparison, Vaughn specifically, between like it's the, the fear of death is really a celebration of life. You know, it's that moment of, of feeling. And where you cross that barrier between pain and fear into like sexual arousal. Yeah. I don't think it is necessarily death worship, but I think it is in the sense where they don't see a difference between death and life. But there's you know? a high level of it, especially in oh, the yeah. worship of James Mans Jane Mansfield and James mm. Dean. Literally. Literally. Those that came before to some degree, like yeah. patron saints of and their if we cult. and if I think the the what what uh, Casey Jones is looking after, Vaughn. Casey Jones is looking after, if I die in a crash, do I therefore yeah. become legend? Yeah, 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 exactly. And again, that's what he wants, right? Yeah. It's a transcendent Since, kind of thing. Yeah. He, wants to, he wants to give himself to that machine. Later, James and Catherine perform a similar stunt with James pursuing her on a freeway at high speed. Catherine unbuckles her seatbelt as she sees James approaching and he rams into the back of her car, forcing it to topple down into a grass median. <laughs> James exits his car and approaches Catherine's, which was flipped upside down. Catherine lays partly under the car, apparently superficially injured. When James asks if she is okay, she tells him she is not hurt. As the couple kiss and begin to have sex near the wrecked, wrecked vehicle, James whispers to her, maybe the next, next one, one, implying that the only possible result of the extreme fetish is death. Again, the connection between sex, life, and death here. And again, that beginning conversation. Well, maybe next time, yeah. the next one will come. Maybe the next one will fucking kill us. It's fucking wild. So <laughs> I thought shit for sure. She died and he was gonna he was getting a little bit too so, tender coming into her body. And I'm like, he's gonna fuck her dead is, body. <laughs> like, this is my thought. I think right now we give our thumbs up, thumbs down each with a very quick kind of you know, uh, elevator pitch on how we feel about the film. We take a quick break. We watch Siskel and Ebert come back to it. Cool. Okay. Josh, 
what is your what is your uh, final take in this movie? Thumbs up, thumbs down. What do we got? Thumbs down. Uh, sadly, I mm. I dig it. I you knew I wasn't gonna like it. Ooh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's because it felt just like a porno. I, I, I've, ah. I've felt like I've seen this before. <laughs> like I didn't like it because it didn't hold true to Cronenberg's other works. There's char- There's no character development in this. None. Mm. And if there is, it's between Casey Jones and James Spader. And their burgeoning relationship until its fiery end. It didn't hold true to something like uh, Scanners, Videodrome, The Fly. And I'm a big fan of the uh, Vigo Vigo Renaissance, right? History of Violence, Eastern Promises. I dig those movies because that's a lot of character development for me. And I always felt that he mastered it. And I think it was on purpose to show showcase what... J.G. Ballard was talking about about how aliens are. It feels like a bunch of aliens were making a movie, acting like aliens, being in yeah. an alien the world. The strange stuff is us. Yeah. Right? The strange stuff is what's in our brain. And everything else, what they're the doing is fucking normal. Which is why, like, I, I, like, I, I kick it to the, the car salesman who thinks it was like, what the fuck are these people doing into my fucking car? I, I didn't think it was a bad movie. Don't think this is for everybody. Yeah. That's for sure. It's I, definitely not. I agree. This is definitely not, like an open-ended kind of like, oh, go out and see it. You got to bring the whole family. It's not that kind of a situation. The idea here is to make you feel uncomfortable. This is sandpaper yeah. on purpose. Yeah. Um, even like during some of the sex scenes, some of the music is so sad. Or muted. Yeah. If there is any, right? Yeah. Um, it doesn't give like, you watch something like The Dead Zone. You are fucking cheering for sure. Christopher Walken. I don't yeah. think you're really cheering for no. any of these, and you're not meant to. No, you're supposed to, if anything, you're trying to see it through their eyes yeah. as best you can. Whether that means you actually agree or disagree, what have you. And I like that. Yeah. I like a movie that makes me contemplate it, you know, like literally just sit there and be like, huh. And I appreciate that with Cronenberg's work usually is like that in the yeah. sense of like, the actual moral of the story is, you know, you have to figure out one for yourself, whether or not he's saying a good thing or a bad thing. He would tell you, I'm just saying a thing. You get to figure out the rest of it. It, The initial, my initial feeling too, I was like, what is he trying to say? Yeah. What do you think he was trying to say? I think he was given like, like you mentioned, that it was very pornographic. What did you get from this? Like car crashes can be sexy. Is that what you think the, the overarching I think he wanted thing. to take something as titillating as a porno, flip it on its head and show you something even seedier than that. Mm. Like there's like there's a seedier other yeah. Oh yeah, and like like it's meant to titillate and make you feel good. Well, what if it titillates you and makes you feel bad? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But you actually feel good, yeah. but you actually why feel do bad. You feel why do you bad? why do you make yeah, it yeah, makes you ask these feeling? questions. Yeah. In a way, like I feel like if you if I only watched this movie and never saw another David Cronenberg movie, I would not like it. I honestly think it fits into his milieu very fucking well. It does. And it it feels like you can see what he's doing as a creator. It feels like he started out making things very splat. And it's like, we got to get these things fucking finished. His first films were shorts made on an eight millimeter in college, (laughs) you know, but then he took a lot of those same ideas and it gave him the opportunity to, in movies like Scanners or Videodrome or what have you, to get a little deeper into this idea of like, like in a lot of ways, his movies in my mind and Ballard's stories apparently are about modernity god is not controlling our everyday life kings don't exist because god said so so how do we create a world, world where we can 
understand ourselves in it. Humanism and all this other shit that came up in the modern world, that is also built on the same false narrative. So they're like, maybe all of this doesn't really matter and we shouldn't necessarily like try to recreate Christianity without God in it. You know? It sounds like they're building a house on sand though. Like mm. I their argument would be that everyone is building a house on sand. Yeah, because ultimately you know? it'll end in death. Everything or does. In death of an innocent. Everything does, as yeah. far as they're Was concerned. Holly Hunter's husband an innocent? This is it. Right? I gotta what's Who his is this story? Poor fucking yeah. guy? Was he jacking off to car crashes? Was... I wanna know. <laughs> we never get the, we never get his story. The only thing and we know we is what Catherine says he's a he's and... a chemical engineer for a food company. <laughs> and... That's it. You know what's funny about that, too? I wonder if that's in the novel, because Ballard's dad was a chemical engineer for a textile company. He oh. famously, another movie about him was made by Spielberg, fucking Empire of the Sun. Really? So when he was a child, he lived in Shanghai in the Shanghai Industrial, no, uh, International District or whatever they call right. it. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, his dad worked for a textile company as an engineer. And yeah, during the end of World War II, they were not even the end. He was in there for like two and a half years. Yeah. Uh, the whole family was interned because Japan had internment camps when they took over China yeah. where they put internationals. So yeah, Empire of the Sun is about his personal experiences and him finally writing directly about that. Wait a minute. Did Christian Bale grow up to be James Spader? <laughs> Holy fuck. <laughs> you know, I guess that's how that worked. Huh. But I, uh, anyways, so- I don't know. Uh, I guess what I'm trying to say here is this movie itself is kind of a deconstruction of like, you know, your expectations of what a movie well, it's de should be Deconstruction. Presented. It's destruction. Well, exactly. It's dissolution. And it's the yeah, falling destruction apart. Itself. It's yeah. the melting of of these people and then their attachment to the car. It's like, did you ever see uh, Tetsuo the Iron Man? This is a great like Japanese horror film from no, the late 80s about a guy turning into a machine. And it's like that in the sense of, but like in a way where it's not overtly science fiction. Yeah, Dylan, you know? I saw Iron Man. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Best Marvel movie. Um, no, so that's Wakanda forever. <laughs> I will. So you thumbs down for you, thumbs up for me, but with the caveat of like, clearly this isn't for everybody, but if you're a weird postmodernist freak or you like David Cronenberg a whole bunch, it's worth seeing in that context. Is this your favorite Cronenberg film? Oh, absolutely not. Again, like to me, it is a companion piece to Cronenberg's work. Right. Um, do I I do flip back and forth. I've mentioned like 10 times. Videodrome, I think right now is probably my current favorite. It's the one I go back to the most. Dead and Zone. And every time, <laughs> Dead Zone's great. Oh, fuck, I love it. So Scanners. Oh, yes. <laughs> I fucking love Scanners. Both as like a visual effects film, but also like the story he's telling there. Anyways, yeah. fucking moving on. Josh, what mm. do you think? Our friend Siskel and Ebert thought about this film. Thumbs down both sides. <clears throat> okay. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to see if Josh was right. All right. And we are back. Uh, Josh and <laughs> I just watched the clip from Siskel and Ebert at the movies. Holy shit. Um, <laughs> reviewing um, uh, Crash. I just watched the fucking film. Crash. So um, how did it play out, Josh? I was 50%. Yeah. Correct. Half, half there. 50% incorrect. I should have known uh, Ebert would give this a thumbs up. The more I look at Ebert's stuff, it, the harder it becomes to predict how he's going to feel about a movie. Because this movie reads to me like one Ebert's going to be like, this is garbage. He hates you gore. Wanna, he hates all that shit. You want to know why? He went, he went straight for the porno. Oh, I think. I think. Want to know yeah. why that? Yeah. He, what did he start doing his career in? 
writing Russ Meyer films. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that's interesting. Go the Valley of the Do- all that shit. That's like... smart, actually. I didn't even consider that. His argument is that what what's interesting to him is like he's using the form of pornography to tell a story about human compulsions, but not using. mostly not using traditionally pornographic images so that we don't necessarily feel good about it. And we have to think, come to our own conclusion about these crazy much like much like Ebert's mentor, Russ Mayer did. He wrote most of his early works. Yeah. I think a part of this movie, you're not going to like it. If you come into it thinking narratively speaking, beginning, middle end, what is this movie trying to tell me? Yeah. It's not exactly without a narrative or like a, a, a traditional plot. It's there. Uh, but it is not there so that you feel like, like you said, so-and-so got better and things yeah. changed and so-and-so learned from their experiences. Yeah. Um, if anything, J.G. Uh, Ballard, again, had referred to this movie as being a love story. And he said, if anything, that was the one thing this movie pulled out of his book that wasn't like, I think he described it as like his book inferred it, but this like was more overt. And he he appreciated that aspect. It's about a, a man and his wife learning to love again. It's the but fucking they're... pina colada song. <laughs> it's Scoppy. Yeah, no, love it's that like, song. It's like, oh, it turns out I could have been having sex car crashes with you the whole time. <laughs> oh. I didn't even have to take a wanted ad. That costs a lot of money. <laughs> right? That song's so stupid. It's Good a, karaoke song though. This is a great. Uh, clip from Siskel and Eva. Oh man, they're at each other's throats. Fuck, and they Petty. Really, I just Tom love, Petty, yeah. Richard yeah. Petty, yeah, yeah, yeah. Lori yeah. Petty. <laughs> Do we know any other Petties? Do you kind of know? Oh fuck, Richard well, Petty Jr. Richard Petty Jr. <laughs> there you go. All right, well, um, that was the first episode of Look Who's Siskel and Ebert. Now we still haven't answered the title. Um, I used to be both, but then I lost like forty pounds. So I don't know. It's up for debate. Who will it be? Yeah, exactly. We, you, Maybe, you didn't want to go with... And we're not going to come up with a moral judgment. We're going to let the audience decide yeah. who's Siskel and Ebert now, okay? <laughs> like Cronenberg would want. I think we're done. Next time, we're going to review the, uh, the Kirstie Alley classic, R.I.P. <laughs> to a real one, Kirstie Alley. Yep. Uh, look who's talking now. The the third in the trilogy of the look who's... Yeah. Hopefully, <laughs> look who's talkings. Hopefully, we can all uh, keep up even though we're missing the first two parts of the story, I feel like if we really focus, we can get the general I'll probably idea. end up watching all three. <laughs> Josh, send us home. I'm Josh Young. And I'm Josh Dillon. And for now, until the next episode, the balcony is fucking closed. Do, 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 do.